Hi, you're listening to The Next Page, the podcast of the United Nations Library, Geneva. Our podcast is designed to advance the conversation in the fields of multilateralism. And today we explore ideas around innovation in international organizations. I got the chance to speak with Tina Ambos, Director of the Institute of Management at the University of Geneva, and Corinne Momavanian, the Director of the Division of Conference Management here at UN Geneva, about their work and experiences in innovation, particularly in international organizations. Both Tina and Corinne have played key roles in innovation in their fields, and you can find out more and some links to information and reports in the podcast description for this episode. I also asked them about what innovation means at the level of multilateralism and global cooperation. Hope you learn as much as I did. Enjoy. Tina and Corinne, thank you for joining us today. We've been fortunate to have had you both here for learning events and discussions about innovation, particularly in international organizations. But for those who cannot be in Geneva and here for our events, we also wanted to have a conversation on the podcast about this particular topic. So first to Tina, a lot of your work at the University of Geneva is focused on innovation, um, especially in international organizations or IOs as we commonly refer to them. We hear the word innovation a lot. In, in the UN system, in other fields, in the private sector as well. Um, we have innovation labs, teams, hubs, challenges. It's, it's great to see, but it, it can perhaps also be a little confusing to understand or maybe fully comprehend what innovation is. How do we define it or can we define innovation? Well, it's a very good question, Natalie. Thank you so much. Um, of course, there's a ton of definitions out there, and uh, I really don't want to suggest any of those. Um, I'd really like to refer to innovation very broadly. It could be developing a new product, a new process, developing a new policy. Basically, it's changing how you approach things relative to the status quo. And what innovation really means in your organization has a lot to do with your organizational priorities and the mission of your organization. And I think it's very important to keep in mind that it's certainly not only new technologies, right? And also that innovation is not so much about the outcome also, but about the process. Uh, and this is very much the direction that our research is also taking. Like, what is the process of innovating? How can we empower entrepreneurs, empower people to think creatively and uh, to actually embrace innovation in the job descriptions. I'm also seeing and reading a lot about uh, technology not being the solution, it's the people also behind the technology. And this is maybe relating to what you just spoke about, which is it's more about the people themselves. Absolutely. I mean, um, so far, we'll, we'll see how that all changes with kind of uh, AI and uh, machine learning. Uh, but so far, it's people using technology. And I think there has to be a good linkage. And uh, in my experience, technology works best when it's modeled onto people's behavior or kind of changing in line with people's behavior. So there has to be value added of technology. It's certainly not a self-fulfilling prophecy. You've been part of producing two reports on innovation at the University of Geneva. What are the key takeaways people can learn from, from these reports? If you could do a, a, a quick yeah, resume yeah. for us. Yeah, I think uh, from the first report, we looked at bottom-up innovation, which we call entrepreneurship. So that's innovation or entrepreneurial behavior within existing large organizations. And uh, we looked specifically 
how these entrepreneurial innovations, so from the periphery of the organization, not always mandated top down, not always coming from the center, how they actually have massive power to change the organization, not in terms of the achievements for beneficiaries, the impact that make, but also in terms of changing organizational structures, adding teams and processes, and sometimes even questioning the mission of the organization, maybe expanding this and uh, leading us really to rethink what we really want to achieve, what the mission of an international organization should really be. This is not always an easy process, uh, and that's uh, quite a challenge. Do you have any examples that you could share with us about how you see innovation in IOs? What, what's, what's working? Mm -hmm. I, I think what, what's working is very much context-specific, right? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, to give you an example about an entrepreneurial innovation, I think one of my... my favorite examples is uh, Building Blocks from the World Food Program, which actually is cash-based transfers. And it was launched by an entrepreneur. It was uh, implemented in refugee camps. Then it was scaled. Uh, and now it's actually used by several organizations. And the idea is to move it now out of the World Food Program and to have it across organizational tool, which uh, I love because it's the idea of learning from each other. But it's also um, what I referred to before as this kind of mission stretch, right? I mean, the World Food Program engaging in cash-based transfer, this is not what their mission really says, right? This is more like a fintech or a development bank. So uh, fundamentally, kind of questioning what we do. Um, I mean, when we had the panel today, Pratip Kakatil from AIDS, from UNAIDS also said that the number one challenge uh, for providing healthcare in sub-Saharan Africa is energy. It's electricity, right? It's not necessarily only related to the medical provisioning. So I think it's very important that we think outside of this box and that we harness this full power of innovation, which sometimes also means working a little bit less goal-oriented. You, you talk a lot of also about entrepreneurship. For those who don't know what that means, could you, could you share? Yeah. Uh, the idea of an entrepreneur is really that uh, it's an entrepreneur, so somebody who comes up with new ideas, with creative thinking, with offering new solutions, seeing opportunities, but not within a small venture, but within a big organization. Uh, and often that has to do with bottom-up processes, right? So somebody who is, uh, doesn't necessarily have the organizational hierarchy to um, come up with a new product, service, process, but somebody who sees an opportunity in their context, often very specifically tied to your field work, to country projects, develops this idea and then also gets the organizational support to scale this. This is something, a very uncomfortable process because um, usually you're stretching your boundaries, right? You're not in the hierarchical position to really lead this project and um, you're certainly stepping on others' feet. So this is a very difficult process. And uh, when we started this research, we thought, yeah, maybe we'd find like one or two cases where this really happens in international organizations. But we found many of them and we found that they're really, really powerful in terms of how they transform organizations. And I think this is an, an amazing insight that sometimes I think international organizations are all also short-selling themselves in terms of what to do in innovation because there's so much out there. I think also the word innovation can sometimes also refer to something big and something huge that, that one person might not be able to, to approach on their own. Does it have to be big? Can it also be small things? I, I think the, the things that start small are often the most powerful things. I mean, we the real start for innovation to me is like an opportunity that is related to a challenge, to an issue, to something that um, has not been addressed at all or maybe can be addressed in a different way. So I think starting small is often much more powerful because we're getting rid of all the rhetoric and we're getting rid of all the processes. And we, we start with the doing and we start with the, the pain points. Uh, and I think this is the most important. 
Corinne, over to you now. What are your thoughts on, on what has been spoken so far? You have many years of experience working for the UN. How do you, how do you find these insights? Well, I, I just want to also agree with Tina that uh, uh, innovation has, is, is not something very new. I mean, I've, I've seen innovation in the UN in the last three decades uh, that I've spent in the organization. I mean, uh, Doug Hammarskjöld invented uh, peacekeeping. Uh, Butchus Ghali invented preventive diplomacy. Uh, Kofi Annan was incredible, incredibly innovative. And he, for instance, he created the Global Compact, which is a new way of working with the private sector. So what I see, though, I see an acceleration of innovation and I see a different pace of change. And that is because I think there is a, a generational change first, uh, and we're going from uh, generations of civil servants who were very uh, compliance-oriented for very good reasons to uh, generations uh, who are more impatient and uh, who want to deliver very fast, sometimes too fast for someone uh, of my age. But I think that's that's been important. And because we see also that the gap between uh, what happens in the organization, in the UN system in general, and what happens outside may be growing. And I think there is a realization that this gap is growing and that the outside world is moving very fast, including on technology, but not only in general, on the way the institutions organize themselves, in the way we recruit, in the way we, uh, we ensure that a diverse uh, workforce uh, can, can bring us further and so on. So I think as we realized in the last few years that this gap was dangerously growing, I think there's been a realization in the UN that we need to do something about it. We need to open up. We need to uh, listen to new ideas. Um, and we need to accelerate innovation. And this is why I think we've seen all this bubbling of initiatives of uh, innovation labs, innovation teams, innovation structures. But I think there have been a very healthy uh, realization that we had solid institutions that that responded to their mandates for a long time, uh, the rate at which the world is changing doesn't allow us to uh, to do business as usual anymore. So I think this is this. My first reflection is that it's been a very healthy process, a good process. I'm really super happy about it. How we go about it is is you know there are loads of ways that are highlighted in in the in the report prepared by the University of Geneva. Whether it's been easy, no, it hasn't been always an easy journey. There's resistance. and But overall, I, th- I see uh, an extremely good uh, new orientation towards new ways of, of working because this is what we're talking about. We're not talking about technology and not only about technology. We're talking about new ways of delivering better to the member states, to the populations we serve, and, and to also to our staff. How do you see um, UN Geneva and the UN system uh, taking on innovation sustainably or as, as part of, our, of how we work and how we think also to meet our mission in, in the long term? Do we have barriers or what do we need to succeed? Yes. The, I, first of all, I don't think we will be going back. I don't think, uh, I think we've, we've reached a threshold that it's impossible to roll back innovation in, in the UN system. I think what we need, however, to make it really uh, meaningful and successful in in the long term is a greater push for a change in culture. And I'm not even going to say we need more resources because resources matter, but I think uh, partnerships matter more and they are 
tons of resources out there in the world. So if we don't have resources in the in the UN to do this or that or experiment, we can partner with others. So it's not so much the resource, but it's really the changing culture which will come from our leaders. So what we need for it to be successful in the long term is for leaders to not pay lip service to innovation, but genuinely embrace an internal democratic culture where where ideas can flow bottom up in an organization where ideas have often uh, flown top down. You you also have as part of the division of conference management an innovate team. Could you share an example of what uh, the team is doing? Yes, first of all, what, what the team is doing first of and foremost is exploring, which means it's trying to demystify innovation and new technologies for the rest of the of the division because there's a lot of fear around it so they they are trying to bring knowledge about general innovative trends in the world of conference management back to the division and also take this knowledge sometimes which is inside the division but buried deep and bring it out to the bring it to the surface so they are uh, organizing for instance very simple example we're at the moment running a, a webinar series on, on new technologies, on AI, artificial intelligence, to demystify it, to, to explain what it is. And with incredible success, I mean, I have to say that uh, I've been surprised at the amount of people who are following the, the webinar at lunchtime, sacrificing their, their, uh, their lunchtime to really understand better what does it mean we're always talking about AI? What are the implications on, on my work? So this is one example. They're also enabling, they're providing uh, incubation workshop for others who have an idea but don't really know how to bring it to the uh, to a the stage of a concept paper or even a project paper. So we're providing tools, we're providing methodology. They, the members of the innovation team, are providing not only knowledge but also tools to people who want to to innovate. So that those are some of the things that in practice they're they're doing and they're themselves carrying out a couple of projects that will be very innovative and that will change the way we deliver services to member states. One is on speech-to-text, uh, which will allow us to deliver transcripts to member states very, very fast on the myriad of meetings that take place here in, in Geneva and in all lang official languages. And another is we will change the format of parliamentary documentation, which is which hasn't changed in 60 years. So some of these are some of the practical things they're working on. I have a question for, for both of you now. What about innovation and gender? Are we seeing innovation support gender equality and opportunities for women and, and how? And is there even more potential here? I think there certainly is. Uh, I mean, if you look at uh, especially Corinne's team, uh, when I first met Corinne, I mean, it, uh, I was introduced to a kind of w women only team and that was not that was not by quota, but uh, by, uh, you know, expertise and by willingness to take risks and to innovate. So um, I really see that a lot of the people who take not only risk, but also responsibility and ownership to kind of uh, go the extra mile and maybe also a little bit, you know, beyond their comfort zone are actually women. And I think we've seen a great success there, um, which, uh, which is fantastic. I don't want to stereotype too much, but um, I think certainly by also shifting this idea that it's not only about technical knowledge, but that innovation is about people and it's about social skills and it's about convincing the team and getting people on board. I think that plays to, let's say, the the classic uh, skills and capability to say that are usually highlighted um, in kind of um, also female skills and in 
especially cherishing the diversity we have in teams, right? Um, and I think it, it really goes beyond gender, but it really goes uh, towards the diversity. And um, Chris Rooney from UNHCR uh, mentioned today very much that it's the diversity of thought that is really at the very basis of the innovation to, uh, to help here and to generate value. And I think that's important. I really want to fully uh, support what uh, Tina has just said, because... Uh, Innovation is about bringing more voices to the table and getting away from the very narrow range of voices that we heard for a very long time. So uh, what I've seen is that women are completely seizing opportunities brought uh, by innovation and by the various innovation teams and structures that have uh, emerged because they understand that these structures, these teams work not against their hierarchy, but across uh, structural lines. So they see it as a as a big chance for them to have their voices heard, even if uh, those voices don't always travel up the hierarchy. And uh, indeed, as Tina said, when I uh, set up the first uh, innovation team, uh, it was entirely volunteer-based, based, and uh, I called for volunteers, and out of 11, 10 were women. So for me, it's a clear sign that women have understood the opportunities provided by innovation and uh, they want to ride the wave. And I'm very lucky to be sitting here with two impactful women. Thank you very much. Um, now a question that connects you both in your, in your different fields. How do we think about and work on innovation across sectors? How can we help each other? Well, I mean, what I've seen is that some organizations such as WFP that have uh, maybe developed tools for innovation uh, earlier than others are very much sharing that with others. And uh, recently, uh, WFP uh, and the UN Innovation Network ran a boot camp in Munich where they really provided their methodology and help to others. And we were lucky enough in UNOG, uh, in my division, that we were selected among uh, the teams that were uh, that participated in the boot camp and it was it was uh, it was great because we benefited from their experience in in bringing uh, ideas to to fruition and i i think there's a, the un innovation network is full of people who are really willing to help each other and share their knowledge so uh, absolutely it's happening already I, I agree. And uh, we were also part of this uh, great event by UNN and the World Food Program. And I think that their initiatives to kind of connect organizations are fantastic. Still, sometimes what I see, even if we all have the goodwill, it's very hard to step out of your role and step out of the hierarchy because obviously, I mean, they're also there for a reason. But creating these safe spaces where we can work together, where we can communicate, um, I think this is something that I've seen working very well because often it's not so much really about generating new knowledge and new ideas. It's all there, right? People have it with them. But by facilitation and by having an open discourse, often these things surface and then they come out and then we can really learn from each other. And uh, I mean, in our experience as, as the university now trying to, to work with international organizations for some time, something that I experienced in our workshops is really and that was not by design it was like a, a collateral that people seem to really appreciate um, that they were outside of their organization and it was um, a neutral convener like the university we don't have a political agenda we are not consultants uh, but we're kind of just providing a platform to help organizations to come together and work across share openly 
The second part of that was also that we invited people who were passionate innovators and we had uh, directors, executive secretaries, and, and Corinne amongst many other very senior people there sitting next to interns and next to um, people who just started their careers at the, at the UN. And I thought that was amazing how the discourse was very open, very friendly, you know, without any hierarchies. And I think this is a very important step for innovation and to work together, which we, we can never provide within organizations, right? So it's also kind of taking the time and the energy to step outside sometimes. Fantastic. Finally, looking at, at the purpose of international organizations, we, we have many and their missions might be different, but I guess a, a key unifier is that we, uh, they are setting the agenda internationally and they are bringing or encouraging cooperation among nations. So what is the potential for innovation to impact multilateralism? It's a big question. <laughs> it's a huge question. It's a it's a huge question. I think uh, without innovation, the uh, the attacks on multilateralism that we are witnessing will increase, and that we need to demonstrate even more actively the uh, the why of multilateralism and why and and the impact. So two ways in which I think uh, innovation will help us in this field. One is is it will allow us to work with partners outside of the UN system, and that is absolutely indispensable now. So uh, we are, the whole innovation movement inside the UN system now is very much looking at the private sector or the organization, and that's gonna be very helpful because there are things that we can learn from others, and also we just need to partner with others. That's, that's, uh, that's for sure. And the second is that it is, uh, we've just mentioned, for instance, this, uh, this example of WFP helping others within the UN Innovation uh, Network. But I, I see uh, innovation because it happens outside of traditional structures as opening the silos between UN agencies. I see it happening. We are much more aware of what's going on in other UN agencies that, than we were 20 years ago. And that is wonderful. And that is true multilateralism for me. Well, I, I agree. It's, it's, it's a huge question. I think I, I couldn't find a better answer than, than Corinne just gave you. I think for what I'm observing very much as an, as an academic, as an outsider to the system, is that, yes, partnerships are great, and, and we kind of need to work more with the private sector and work with NGOs and so on. But I think also um, international organizations need to be much more conscious about their value add, right? Because they have a huge, a huge role to play, right? I mean, the private sector only... And NGOs, they will not succeed in achieving the SDGs, right? I mean, the scale, the international diversification, the deep understanding of the context, the kind of political buy-in, the legitimacy that international organizations have, I mean, they play a huge role in this world, right? And I think with the, the current political discourse, we are often kind of downplaying this role. And um, I'm often seeing international organizations say, well, we have to be like the private sector. And I mean, you don't, right? You have to understand the private sector because they're your partners. But um, I think uh, it's important that we don't just start kind of doing a 180-degree twist and then uh, try to adopt roles and responsibilities that are, are not natural and that are not really the ones that, that need to be embraced. Maybe on a more provocative note, what, what we saw in our research, especially in entrepreneurship, this idea that innovation can stretch the mission, I think at some point... Uh, leaders in international organizations also have to be open to question the mission of the organization. Sometimes this may mean 
reducing some mandates. Sometimes this will mean growing. Sometimes this will mean merging. And I think this is a very uncomfortable process, a very difficult one. But I think also if leaders really show that they're able to engage in this discourse and an honest discussion of you know what is needed and how can we best move ahead together, I think this would also be a huge signal to the world. And Natalie, you ask what innovation can do for multilateralism, but I, I would add that multilateralism and the values that underpin it, which are values of cooperation, being human-centered and bringing a diversity of views to the table, which is what it is to be a multilateral organization, is to allow for multiple representation at the same table, that it's actually what should drive innovation. So I would reverse the question and say that those values should underpin innovation and should drive uh, innovation, which should be very much human-centered and diversity and allow for a diversity of voices to be heard. Very good way to end. Thank you, Corinne and Tina. If people would like to learn more, where can they go? Do you have any suggestions? I mean, there, there are lots of, of, of sources and all the different organizations. Actually, if you just kind of go organization by organization, you find a lot of different resources, uh, especially as we have seen many organizational structures now that all give helpful advice. Um, to get our access to our own work, um, it's the i to high hub, which is... Uh, at the University of Geneva website. We'll have two reports. We also regularly host different workshops and we share the main findings. Uh, we've also hosted a workshop at the World of Forum in Davos. So we're trying always to have follow-ups that you can, uh, you can access there. And uh, I think a great resource is the website of the UN Innovation, United Nations Innovation Network, and that's uninnovation.network. And they have a, a newsletter to which people can subscribe. So I think this, this is really an excellent gateway into what's happening in innovation in the UN system. Fantastic. We'll provide those links in written form with the URLs. Thank you again both for joining us. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you, Natalie.